We wish you all a happy new year. Welcome to the Divine Lantern's first episode for 2023. We are so glad that you could tune in and pray that the year ahead be filled with spiritual growth and new learnings from the podcast. With the blessing of His Eminence Metropolitan Basilios, the Antiochian Orthodox Archdiocese presents a podcast to educate, empower and enrich. I'm Alana from the Antiochian Christian Orthodox Youth and I'm your host for this week's episode. Today we'll be hearing from a special guest, Abbot Trifon, from the Monastery of the All-Merciful Saviour in Vashon Island, America. Abbot Trifon has a blog called The Morning Offering, a YouTube channel, and has done a number of podcasts for Ancient Faith Radio. He will be joining us today to provide New Year advice to our youth. This will be followed by our new question and answer segment, and we will finish up with the continuation of our series on the monasteries of our Patriarchate. And now to Abbot Trifon. First of all, I want to greet Metropolitan Basilios, the Metropolitan of the Antiochian Archdiocese in Australia, and tell you how flattered I am to have been asked to speak to your young people through the Divine Lantern podcast. It's a great honor. I have to say to you young people that I have a special place in my heart. In fact, I'm often called grandpa by young men and women who come here to the monastery and occasionally even by some of my monks. And I have to tell you at the age of 77, I certainly fit the scene. I am a grandpa and like a grandpa, I love young people, especially Orthodox young people. We live in a world that is self-worshipping. I used to teach college many years ago, many, many years ago. And the one thing that I noticed about some of the faculty members and certainly the students is this fear of not meeting the mark, of not succeeding, not being a good student, not finding a good job when they uh, graduated from college, uh, not making something of their lives. But this is that moment when we need to think exactly what does it mean ultimately to be successful in this life. And that is the moment when we contemplate the fact that the Lord in his great and loving mercy came down, incarnated in our midst, and the second person of the Holy Trinity took on our flesh that we might be redeemed and enlightened. It is that moment that it became possible for us to be a child of God. It is that time when the Logos, by whom the world and even the cosmos was created, condescended to join himself to us. When we were conceived in the womb, God bestowed upon us the noose, the eye of the soul. The noose is what gives us the ability to commune with God. And it's what separates us from the animals. Animals have souls, according to many church fathers, but they don't have the noose. So what does that mean for us? It means that we must remember that it is not about what we do and what we accomplished and how successful we become in this life. 
but it means how is our relationship with the Lord of hosts preparing us for the second life, the second kingdom to come. The Lord gave us this life, not as the sole place to make success of ourselves or not, but rather bringing us closer to his heart and preparing us for the life eternal. We can become very successful people. We can graduate from college. We can get a doctorate. We can get the dream job of our lives. But if we haven't deepened our relationship with God, we have gained nothing. And how do we do that? Well, first and foremost, we must remember that we are not in this world, which ultimately means that we're destined to die. I look at pictures of myself back in my college days and pictures with me with my friends and I think, oh my gosh, how we've all aged tragically. But it is about our journey into the heart of God. And what does that require of us? Well, first of all, it's important that we surround ourselves with like-minded people who also realize the importance of that journey to God and who have embraced orthodoxy. Because together, as Orthodox Christians, we move forward and we journey into God's heart and we prepare ourselves for life eternal. It's not about this life, it's about eternal life. It's not about success in this life, but it's about joining ourselves ultimately with the saints in heaven who have already won the good fight. We here in the church militant on earth join with the church triumphant in heaven. That's the goal. That is what it means to be an Orthodox Christian. Now that doesn't mean that we don't try hard in college or try to be the best employee that we can be or the best father that we can be to our children. I'm not saying that at all, but I'm saying that our priorities need to be focused on God and our relationship with God. And we trust that Jesus Christ help us to refrain from all acts and signs of selfishness. One thing we can do as Orthodox Christians is be a loving beacon to those who do not know God and be a support to those who know God and are Orthodox Christians, but are struggling. We all are struggling. I'm struggling. But the Lord of hosts is a merciful God. So it's like the little boy who walks into the room, the little four-year-old, and he puts his fist in the air, and he tells his dad, Daddy, I hate you. And the loving father reaches out, lifts up his child, embraces him, and says, but daddy loves you. And that's how God is with us. So we do not want to give in to despair, thinking, oh, I'm a bad person. I'll never succeed. Why even try? Why even bother? But like that little child, knowing that we have a loving father who embraces us. And every time we fall down, we get up again. And we get up again with our loving Father's embrace, lifting us up on our feet and telling us that he loves us.
More than 40 years ago, when I embraced Orthodox monasticism, I remember going to my spiritual father, Archimandrite Dimitri, of blessed memory. And I told him, I said, I'm not sure that I can do this. I, I'm not sure I can be a monk. I said, when I go out into the community and people are looking at me and I know that they have every expectation of what a monk should be like, and I'm failing at it utterly. And I said, when I go into the church on Sunday for liturgy, I feel the same way that people are looking at me and thinking, what kind of person is he that he claims to be a monk, but look at him, he's just no different than us. And I said, I just don't know whether I can do this any longer. And Father Dimitri said to me something that I've never forgotten. He said, God is in the process of illuminating you. Not illuminating them, but illuminating you. So as long as you're putting on this image of somebody else that you're not, you are preventing that illumination and that transformation to take place. So be yourself. Be yourself. And I remember saying, not that. I'm not a good person. And he said, but God will change you. And God in his work in your heart will transform you and make you into a good person, into a holy person. So you need to keep your focus on God. And I said, well, how do I do that? And he said, by networking with other Orthodox Christians, whether they be monks or not, find people in the parish that you are going to on Sundays who are pious and hang with them. There's an old lady that is the most pious person in the parish. Get to know her. Sit down and have a cup of tea after liturgy with her and let that relationship with her work in your heart. Find young people like yourself, whether they be monastics or not, and interact with them and befriend them and do things with them. To be a serious Orthodox Christian doesn't mean that we are always saying the Jesus prayer and that we are always going to church and that we're always strict with the fast and all of that. Those are all good things. But what it does mean is that we surround ourselves with people who have a heart for Jesus and who are with us in this struggle. And we remember that in Orthodoxy, our faith is not about what's up here. It's about what is in the heart, the noose, that place, the eye of the soul that God has created in us, that he's planted in us, that gives us the ability to have that relationship. So what do we do? How do we do that? We do that by surrounding ourselves with people who are also attempting to do that. We make sure that our primary social life is with other Christians. And that means if you're a young person, whether you're college or after college or in the workplace, that you give adequate time to nurture those kinds of relationships so that you don't have those moments of temptation of the secular nature that distract you. And most of all, we need to make sure that we do not succumb to despondency. In those moments when we are feeling despondent, and that's part of human nature to do so, are the times when we reach out to our friends and family who are believers and just have time with them. It doesn't mean that you can't go to a tavern and have a beer with your friends. 
but it does mean that when you are there, you limit your intake and you put most of your focus on being with a friend or friends who are devout Christians and who realize that ultimately this life that we have, that God has given to us, that God has gifted to us, is for our salvation. And when we have times of struggle and we feel despondent and we are suffering, we remember that suffering in the Orthodox mind is salvific. It leads us into the heart of God. So all of you dear ones who are listening to this message in Australia, know that Abbot Trifon loves you and prays for you. Thank you, Abbot Trifon, for that beautiful message and for taking the time to share your wisdom with the Divine Lenten listeners. I certainly took a lot away from that, and I'm sure our listeners did too. And now a series of readings from the Philokalia. Take your weekly spiritual dose and reflect on the words of our holy Neptic Fathers with this week's Philokalic Nourishment. If a person is expecting to be summoned tomorrow by the king, will he have any concern other than to consider what he will say in order to please the king? A soul that takes careful note of this will not be found unprepared when it comes before the future judgment seat. Ilias the Presbyter A ship does not go far without water, and there is no progress whatsoever in the guarding of the intellect without watchfulness, humility, and the Jesus Prayer. Saint Hezekiah the Priest Through his incarnation, God gave us the model for a holy life and recalled us from our ancient fall. In addition to many other things, he taught us, feeble as we are, that we should fight against the demons with humility, fasting, prayer and watchfulness. For when, after his baptism, he went into the desert and the devil came up to him as though he were merely a man, he began his spiritual warfare by fasting and won the battle by this means. Though. Being God and God of gods, he had no need of any such means at all. Saint Hesychios the Priest On January 8th, in the Holy Orthodox Church, we continue to celebrate the Theophany of our Lord and commemorate our righteous mother, Domnica of Carthage, who became illustrious in Constantinople. Heaven-minded Domnica, the earth forsaking, according to her love, to heaven ascended. On the eighth, the gloomy night of mortal doom took her of Dominical name. A pagan, Domnica went from Carthage to Constantinople in the reign of the emperor Theodosius to Patriarch Nectarios accompanied by four girls who were likewise ignorant of God. He baptized them and blessed them to live as nuns. Domnica devoted herself to asceticism with wholehearted zeal and did not falter right up to the time of her death 
at a grey age in about the year 474. By the illumination of the Holy Spirit, Domnica was able to predict the future and perform miracles through prayer. On this day, we also commemorate our Venerable Father, George the Kosabite. By the intercessions of thy saints, O God, have mercy upon us. Amen. During Matins and Liturgy, what are the appropriate times that parishioners should be standing? In a letter to a friend, C.S. Lewis, a well-known Christian author, wrote the following observation about Orthodox Christians he saw attending an Orthodox divine liturgy. Some stood, some sat, some knelt, and one old man crawled around the floor like a caterpillar. As we can see, it isn't always clear what we should be doing during liturgical services. Should I be standing? Should I be sitting? I'm sure I should be standing for this part, but everyone is still sitting. I'm the only one standing up. Perhaps I should sit down. Traditionally, Orthodox church buildings did not have pews and limited seating was only provided for the sick and elderly. So why didn't Orthodox churches have pews to begin with? It is because liturgical worship is ultimately modelled after a heavenly pattern, whereby we stand in the presence of Christ enthroned in majesty. 
If we would feel the need to stand before the throne of an earthly king, how much more would we feel the need to stand before the heavenly king himself? As a rule of thumb, when in doubt, it is recommended to stand. Ideally, we should at least be standing during any processions, the gospel, and the entirety of Holy Communion. It is also a good idea to pay attention to the instruction of the clergy, including our Archbishop and the priests. Having said all that, we must be wary of confusing external appearances with the interior life of a Christian. We should not think that simply standing during worship means that we are worshipping properly. After all, Christ reprimands the Pharisees for only appearing righteous outwardly whilst being unrighteous inwardly. In the Gospel of St. Matthew, Jesus Christ says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Again in the Gospel according to St. Matthew, Jesus Christ says, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honour me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me. Of course, we do not want to worship God in vain. We certainly should not concern ourselves with what others are doing either. So what did C.S. Lewis think about his experience in the Orthodox liturgy? He writes, The beauty of it was that nobody took the slightest notice of what anyone else was doing. And so it should be with us. Although there ought to be order and reverence during the liturgy, we cannot use the desire for order and reverence as a pretext to condemn others. When we are attending a liturgical service, we must stand in repentance, both physically and within our hearts, before the throne of God. If you'd like a question answered, submit it via our new email, tdl at antiochian.org.au. The following segment, Monasteries of our Patriarchate, will take you on a journey through the profound Orthodox monasteries specific to Antioch and all the East. We hope you gain greater insight and appreciation into the geography, history, contributions, miraculous recounts and spiritual guidance these revered sites and their inhabitants provide for the nourishment of the wider Orthodox community. The Monastery of the Presentation of the Theotokos, Beirut. Within the busy confines of Beirut, its harried cars and towering buildings, one may not expect to find a monastery nestled beside walls and concrete pillars. But in the Ashrafiyya area of Lebanon's capital, there lies the Monastery of the Presentation of the Theotokos. The monastery's walls are largely creamy yellow in colour, mimicking the golden sand of the desert. It contains a church as well. Dome and arch motifs adorn its entry, 
A bell tower stands tall at the east of the front of the precinct. The cross atop the bell tower alights at night, serving as an evening blessing for the city, and colourful lights below adorn the monastery's structure. Initially, Al-Ashrafiyu was a fertile land and quiet hill, covered with fig and olive trees and overlooking the sea before it became a part of the capital. The monastery is now engulfed by buildings on either side, but its presence in the city is a special blessing for those seeking solace in a bustling atmosphere. The presentation of the Theotokos Monastery in Beirut can trace its origins to 1888, when, after the death of her husband, a certain Catherine relinquished her belongings to the poor and lived a contemplative spiritual life in her own home at Beirut. She lived in solitude at first, but then a group of girls joined her in her feet. In 1898, Sister Catherine was formally tonsured into monasticism, and in the years 1900 and 1905, travelled to the Holy Land on pilgrimage. The latter trip involved her receiving a blessing from the Patriarch of Jerusalem, Damianos I, who bestowed her with a cross. The now Mother Catherine desired to build a monastery herself and was helped financially by a couple who were both miraculously cured from grave illnesses. The site of the monastery was on a plot of their land and was chosen in 1902. Many believers assisted with its construction when news of its inception spread across the local area. With the blessing of the Metropolitan of Beirut, Erasmus, the monastery was consecrated on the 21st of November 1909, which is the feast of the presentation of the Theotokos, and the patronal feast after which the monastery is named. Interestingly, it is called the Sleepless Monastery since prayers occur there unceasingly, both during the day and at night. The church adjoining the monastery has also been called the Virgin of Apparitions, since the Theotokos has appeared to many supposedly at the area, or to those who have visited the church. The original monastic complex consisted of a small church, a refectory, three cells and a kitchen, which is only a small area of the current precinct. After Mother Catherine's repose, Sister Marie was elected as the new abbess. Under her wing, the convent and church were enlarged to include a dome and neighbouring plots of land. Subsequently, Sister Eudokia was elected as the next abbess in 1929 and purchased an orchid and more land for the monastery using her inheritance. More land was acquired by the monastery that produced enough to provide for the monastic labours and needs. Overall, in the first half of the 20th century, as monastic life flourished in Lebanon, the convent of the presentation of the Theotokos increased in the 1940s to house 14 nuns from throughout Syria and Lebanon. Orphan girls also took shelter at the monastery and were cared for. Mother Eudokia undertook more renovation and enlargement projects to expand the monastery until her repose in 1954. After two abbesses heading the convent, it ultimately remained without a superior until 10 years later, when in 1964, a new abbess, Marigo, was elected. New construction works began in 1974, increasing the number of cells to 23. 
The prominent bell tower was added and a large square erected at the entrance. Currently, a number of nuns reside at the monastery and perform their monastic duties under the ancient Jerusalem rule of monasticism, in which the monastery is regarded as a place for refuge for the poor, the oppressed, spiritually hungry, and pilgrims. The traditional habit is the regular black monastic garb, covering all but the face and hands. In an inscription provided by Mother Catherine, the first superior in 1915, Novices wore grey for a year and a half, and then proceeded to wear blue for seven years. Financially, the monastery does not receive endowment, but thrives on the monastic labours of the nuns, who sew garments for clergy and monks. The monastery has a renowned icon workshop, which was established by Pelayaji Tebesharani, who was the sister of the abbess mother Marigo, and the first female iconographer of the Antiochian Patriarchate. Her icons and frescoes adorn churches in Lebanon, Jordan and Palestine, and she has received two acclamations, a knighthood of the Order of Saints Peter and Paul by Patriarch Elias IV of Antioch, and the knighthood of the Order of the Cedars by the Lebanese Republic. Regarding the monastery's architecture, the convent of the presentation of the Theotokos is one of the few modern monasteries in Lebanon. One side of the church opens into a cloistered courtyard. The south side of the church has a corridor leading to the refectories and kitchen. The main reception room is reached by passing a marble statue of Mother Catherine, the first abbess on the north side. The center of the courtyard is adorned with a garden bearing shrubs, a fountain and flowers. Beautiful varieties of vegetation exist there. Ivy, jasmine, gardenia, olives, fig, palms, hibiscus and coffee beans among others. In that sense, the beauty of the natural life has been preserved in a metropolitan environment. The new church building constructed in 1954 supports the increasing number of pilgrims and visitors. The monastery houses several icons which adorn the entirety of the church. Apart from its many frescoes, large icons are placed on the iconostasis which depict Christ, the Theotokos, the Forerunner and the presentation of the Theotokos. There is an icon there bearing St. George, the patron saint of Beirut, plated with a marble frame with arabesque motifs. There is also a wonder-working icon of the Theotokos which has been adorned with items of precious material by the faithful. In conclusion, the Monastery of the Presentation of the Theotokos is a beacon of Orthodox monasticism in the bustling capital of Lebanon. Its modern heritage attests to the flourishing presence of Antiochian monasticism in the Middle East and its undying nature. Through the prayers of the Theotokos, may this monastery continue to thrive and support the faithful on their journey towards Christ. Thank you all for tuning in to this week's episode of The Divine Lantern. 
As always, if you liked what you heard, please subscribe on your favourite podcast provider and don't forget to share with your friends and family. Again, we wish you all a blessed 2023 and we hope to catch you next week.